Hello and welcome back to the Soccer Brothers Podcast. I'm your host, Sal Qatar, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Nihal. How are you doing, Nihal? I'm doing really well. Um, you know, we just had our interview with Ian Joy, and we also just watched the U.S. men's national team beat Haiti 1-0 and finish atop of Group A in the Gold Cup. So, doing really well. We also got this new mic. I hope you can um, recognize the difference in audio quality. Uh, unfortunately, our interview with Ian Joy was conducted with the internal microphone on the computer, which which is what we've been doing. So, um, uh, it was unfortunate we had some technical errors, but he was, he stuck with us through that. And um, so thank you to him for being on, and thank you for sticking with us through that. So, um, you know, it was a pleasure to have him on. And right now we're actually recording on a different computer, so... Yeah. So hopefully hopefully this works and we don't have the same error we were having. Yeah. Um, we talked to Enjoy about a lot of topics. We covered MLS, U.S. Men's, US men's National Team, Serie A, uh, Messi and Copa America. Uh, what else? Interesting, uh, I didn't... Yeah, NYCFC. Um, which is probably what we talked about most. Um, so yeah, you know, um, Ian Joy is a commentator for BN Sports and Yes Network for NYCFC. Uh, he's also very, very well traveled. He's played in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga Two, MLS, USL, and I believe the Championship. Um, so you know, he's very, very knowledgeable about the game. He covers uh, many different facets of soccer. And, you know, it was, a, it was a real pleasure to have him on. He's also represented the youth U.S. national teams. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it was great, great to have him on. Um, and without further ado, here's the interview. Enjoy. And we'll be back with you afterwards to talk about uh, some Gold Cup action and some interesting stuff that's happened in the soccer world in the last couple of days. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. We have a guest by the name of Ian Joy today. He commentates for the BN Network and Yes Network. Um, it's a pleasure and honor to have him. How are you doing, Ian? What an introduction. Thank you very much. Uh, delighted to be joining you guys. Obviously, heard a lot about it. I'm looking forward to the questions you've got ready to throw at me. Bring them on. All right, let's get into it then. Um, so, of course, you commentate for NYCFC, um, and the club announced just over an hour ago that Frank Lampard will not be making his debut against Toronto FC due to a calf strain. Um, do you think because he played a full season in the Premier League with Manchester City, and he's 37 years old, that his health is a concern for Jason Christ and company going forward? No, I, I don't believe so. I think Frank is, is such a fit and healthy guy. He has a great history of being healthy season after season, obviously, in the Premiership. Um, after a long break since Manchester City's last game, not playing so many games throughout the course of the season, it's been a long year for Frank. And I can imagine that he's desperate to play. The situation he's in right now is obviously like a pre-season schedule. And for him, he's trying to get himself 100% ready to rock and roll. And unfortunately, during pre-season, sometimes you pick up little knocks. And this seems to be a situation where he's picked up a, a little strain, a little calf strain. But I can't imagine it's anything serious. It's just about being smart. And it's a shame he won't play in a role in the game against Toronto this weekend. But we're not too far away from seeing him make his debut. And you just never know. Maybe we'll see him make his debut alongside Pirlo's debut as well. So hopefully it'll be next week. It looks like he's going to step back into training next week and, and be involved with the team. And you'll catch that on the Yes Network when they face New England. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's keep on going with NYCFC. Where do Disgrude and Poku fit into the midfield with the additions of Lampard and Pirlo? Who will play out wide and who will pl play in the defensive midfield role? Well, it's a great question, and you probably should be asking this question to Jason Christ because I'm pretty sure that he would be the only one that could answer it. And even at times, I imagine it's difficult 
for Jason to realize where he's going to fit all these talented players. And there's no question in my mind that Poku, being a youngster, has a terrific future in the game, but probably will have to be patient to get himself into the first 11 and keep himself there. He's got to work on his fitness and has to improve, even though he's a tremendous impact player bringing off the bench. So I'd imagine he's probably the weapon that you keep on the sidelines for the time being, try to continue to work on his fitness. And over the next year or two, you'll see Poku bleed more and more into the first 11. He has a terrific future and he's an excellent talent. So I'm excited to see what he's got to throw at the Worlds game. I really think he's got all the attributes to be a top, top defender in world football, not just in Major League Soccer. Uh, for Mix Discarud, um, obviously the name helps him. Playing in the national team helps him. But his performances still have to improve if he wants to play in that midfield. I don't think anybody's guaranteed outside of the DP players of getting in the first 11. And even some of the DP players need to be fit and healthy and training well for Jason to put them in. So every one of them are fighting for a spot. But there's one player who I think will be solidifying his place in that defensive midfield role, and that's Andrew Jacobson. I think he's been outstanding. And it will be very difficult for Jason to remove him from that midfield, regardless of having Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo also drop into that midfield alongside him. So it'll be interesting, but it's certainly not a problem I would like to deal with. I'm happy Jason's the one who has to make those yeah. decisions. Yeah, Poku is certainly an exciting player. Um, so obviously NYCFC added uh, Pirlo and Lampard this week, but they also added uh, Ir- Ir- Iraola, um, yeah. who's a, a great defender who's played... Um, in La Liga for some time, or played in La Liga for some time, and also uh, Angelino um, from Manchester City on loan. Um, so, what, what do you think these two players ask, add to the NYCFC defense? You know, um, you know, Chris Wingert's played a little bit of center back. Um, also, you can maybe talk about Chris Wingert, and do you think he is a center back? Yeah, I mean, it's it's complicated situation with Chris Wingert. I'll start there. He's a, a player that can play in any position on the field and do a very consistent job for you. Um, he's been a little disappointing so far at the beginning of the season, but it's not been helped by not playing in a position that he's played over the last five, six seasons for Major League Soccer at Real Salt Lake. He moved to a centre-back role where I think he can play very easily. Um, but again, he still has to fight for the right to play in the first 11. Shea Facey's been outstanding. And obviously the battle for that place alongside Shea Facey is, um, is up for grabs. And I think Chris Wingert will probably be the one who, who gets the opportunity to play there. Um, Iraola, experienced. I've followed him closely with being sports over the La Liga campaigns the last three seasons. He's a very consistent player, brings great deal of experience, a good engine getting up and down the right-hand side and a very solid player. And he doesn't come under the DP bracket, so it's, it's smart business for New York City to bring a player like that into the club where the younger generation can learn from him, and he also improves the team right now. Um, Angelino is a little different. He's only 18 years old. He's a talented player. Um, obviously, we all don't know much about him, but he's a player that's got a great future in the world's game, and the reputation he's built already at Manchester City has been frightening. They expect really big things from this kid, and they think he's got an opportunity to play in the first team. So... It'll be interesting to see whether or not New York City can give him the minutes that he needs to play. I think he will start in that left-back position. And if he's good, he'll get his opportunity to stay there. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him stay for another year beyond this if he enjoys uh, the final part of this season. He's got a, a great opportunity in New York to make a big name for himself. 
Um, I hear he's very good attacking, defensively has to work on some stuff and he'll get that at New York City. So exciting players being brought into the club. Yeah, um, one, one more question about Angelino. Uh, do you see Manchester City sending a lot of players on loan to New York City's FC in the future? And if so, do you think that sort of stunts New York City FC's growth as its own club and um, in creating their own identity? Um, I don't think so. I think you'll probably see at the beginning of the, the franchise, probably the opening two or three years, where you will see youngsters getting an opportunity to play. Um, but let's not forget Manchester City is a huge football club and it's very difficult for younger players to get an opportunity to play in the first 11 and stay there. So if these kids are on the bubble and some of them might not just make that jump to the first team, it's not a bad place to go play your football and learn to play first team football. Shea Facey is a great example of that. He's getting better week after week and he's improving. And if he decides to go back to Manchester City and fight first place, he has that opportunity. Um, the youngsters at New York City Academy, obviously, it's just starting now. There's a lot of growth to go there. And there's some terrific talent around the New York area who will get their opportunity to impress the first team. But we're a long way away from finding out who those academy players are, who wants to try and fight for a place in the first team. So at the moment, you're limited to the youngsters that are involved at New York City uh, Manchester City, obviously Melbourne comes into play and also in Japan, Yokohama as well because they're all associated with the city group. So I'll be surprised if players don't start trading around those four teams over the next two years. All right, so let's go up top. You know, David Villa has been fantastic this, se- this season. He's NYCFC's leading scorer. Um, but, you know, to make that playoff push, do you think they need someone else to step up? You know, they have uh, Mehdi Belushi he's, who scored some goals as well as McNamara and Patrick Mullins. Um, but, I mean, where else are the goals going to come from uh, uh, towards the playoffs and maybe even in, in the playoffs? Well, they need to start scoring more goals. There's no question about that. When you rely heavily on one player scoring goals for you, as they have done with David Villa, he's, he's won them a lot of games already this season. Um, it's a dangerous game because if he ever picks up an injury, you're really taking out a player who's hot at the moment. So they can't afford David Villa to pick up an injury. Um, And they've only scored 20 goals out of 18 games. It's not enough. So there's more to come. Um, The youngsters they do have there have been exciting. Obviously, Kyrie Shelton has Mm -hmm. has been impressive since he started. Um, Not had too many minutes from the beginning, but he's an impact player when he's brought off the bench. But he's only got one goal to his name. And Patrick Mullins has been Patrick Mullins. He's a player that when you play him and you give him consistent minutes, he will score goals. So he's another player you can rely on. Um, The big disappointment, obviously, has been Adam Nemitz. He hasn't scored a goal yet, and his performances simply haven't been good enough for the football club. And he's under a lot of pressure to pick up his performances. But he's a player that's got great quality as well. Yeah. He's proven that German league and obviously for his national team as well. But whether or not Jason believes in him to give him more opportunities, we'll soon find out. Oh, yeah, yeah, Nemec has been very disappointing. Um, do you think NYCFC will qualify for the playoffs? And if so, how far do you think they can go? I think they can qualify for the playoffs, especially when you add players like Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo, Iraola into the mix. These are experienced guys who know how to win football games, and that's why Jason Kreis is bringing them into the team. They're huge names, obviously, but they're also very talented, and they can win games for you. So the club in general is not in a bad position right now. They're 
just obviously flirting with that line of uh, promotion. And it's a very tight division, Eastern Conference, so you know you're not too far away from, from getting into the playoff position and staying there. So I think that they just concentrate on game after game, picking up three points, and eventually come the season's end, they will be in a playoff place. And then it's a lottery. You really don't know. This is their first season, so to ask them to win it would be a big ask. But this is Major League Soccer. Once you get into the playoffs, anyone can win it. And we've seen it in recent years. We've seen it in the past where consistent teams have got to the playoffs and lost in their conference finals or lost in the semifinals. And I've also seen teams that have really surprised us and gone all the way to lift up the trophy. So anything can happen once you make the playoffs. But the first and foremost task for New York City is try to get to the playoffs. That's their goal. Yeah, and right now, you know, the other expansion team in MLS, Orlando City, is in playoff position, and they've been playing very well as of late. And, you know, they've drawn a lot of comparisons with NYCFC um, just because they're, just for the fa- because of the fact that they're both expansion teams. Do you think those comparisons are fair since uh, Orlando City, you know, already had a team um, before this year in the USL, uh, of course, um, and NYCFC is their first year as a, as a team? Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's fair to say that because they're obviously both expansion teams, um, regardless of Orlando City being a team that's come from the lower levels of the American game um, and already being established as a franchise with a supporters group. Look how many more supporters are turning up. Mm. Look at all the big names who have uh, signed for the football club. I mean, this is a completely new team and what Adrian Heath has done there is outstanding. Um, but New York City are not far away. They're only four points behind what they've achieved. They've both played the same amount of games. Orlando's won one more game than New York City. So there's not much of a difference. I think both teams can end up in the playoffs. They really are very strong. If you look at the business in general, the people they have in charge of those football clubs are just first-class businessmen. And then the people who they have in charge of the teams are absolutely first class as well. And for me, Adrian Heath is doing an unbelievable job. And I think Orlando City make the playoffs. Awesome. So, um, obviously, VM Sports covers a lot of Italian soccer, so let's go over there. Um, yep. Are the additions of Baca and Luis Adriano enough to make champi- uh, Milan a Champions League contender? And where do you see them finishing this year? Well, if you look at their place last year, it was very disappointing. In the 10th position simply wasn't good enough for a club like Milan. Um, but they went through probably a three-year period of transition, which was very disappointing for them. Um, But obviously, through the financial restrictions, they were forced to make a lot of changes to their club. And they brought in some talented players. They have some youth around the team. They've got a great deal of experience. And the players that they've brought into the club, Carlos Baca in particular, outstanding. I mean, this guy is a terrific goal scorer. He's been terrific for Sevilla. And he's put them into the the world reckoning when you look at the goals in Europa League. So that's a terrific signing. And... Milan are getting back to signing the right players who should represent that club in the right fashion. It's been disappointing to me over the years that a lot of these players just were not good enough. A lot of players were lacking discipline. A lot of players were just not representing the badge with heart and passion. And I've followed Milan for a very long time. And I believe that they will slowly get back to the great Milan football club of the last generations and 10, 20 years ago when they were at the top of the table. I think that Milan finishing a European place. Uh, do you think we're seeing a revival of Italian football, especially with Juventus doing so well in the Champions League and Napoli and Fiorentina doing pretty, very well in the Europa League? 
Yes, I do. I really do. Obviously, I've been fortunate. I've been in sports to cover um, the Italian league over the last three years, and I've followed it, watched it grow, um, watched how competitive it has been for the title race. Obviously, Juve have won it each year, but it's been terrific to watch Roma push them very closely for long periods. But then also the fight for that Champions League place as well. Um, European competition was very good for Italian clubs last year. In particular, Europa League was outstanding. I mean, Torino, Inter, everyone were all involved. Napoli, it was excellent to watch Fiorentina's run as well. And um, I think it was terrific to watch. It was a, a very big jump for the Italian teams to have success in European competition. So Juventus making it to the final of the Champions League tells everybody that Italian football is very strong. A lot of changes are inevitable when you're a successful team. Um, Juve have lost a lot of talented players. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens next year, whether or not the new players coming into the door can integrate themselves in the same fashion as last year's team. Um, but I think that there's a lot of teams who will be fighting for those European places. And if you consider all the teams who missed out, if you go down to 6, 7, 8, 9 and 10 in the Italian league last year, those are big football clubs. Sampdoria, Inter, Torino, Milan, huge clubs. And these clubs will push very highly to finish in a Champions League spot next year. Um, now, I'm a pretty big Roma fan, so naturally I have to ask a few questions about them. Um, the first one being, do you think they can um, they can compete for the Scudetto this year? Yes, I do. Um, I think last year was a big disappointment for Roma. They drew far too many games, which was a huge disappointment for Garcia and his men. Um, they have some terrific, talented players there that we all know. Um, very dangerous great experience, a great deal of youth, so many strikers, it's unbelievable, um, but just didn't find a way to win games. They were drawing far too many of them. They didn't lose many games at all, but they drew way too many games to be able to compete for the championship. So if they can start to turn five or six of those victories, especially before Christmas, from draws to, to three points, then you put yourself definitely in, in the hunt for the title. And with all the change that's gone on at Juventus Stadium, in the off-season, there's no question that Roma will be fighting for the title next year. I think they've done a great job of getting themselves near the top of the table consistently over the last two seasons. Next year, they go one better. They try to push Juve all the way for the title. They may not win it, but they will definitely be close come the season's end. It'll be a lot closer than it was this year. Do you think that slide that happened last year was uh, the fault of Rudy Garcia or a chemistry thing? or What, what was the cause of that? I think the problem has to come down to so many games. Champions League didn't help because they didn't perform very well. They were humiliated in the Champions League, in particular the Bayern Munich game stood out to me. Um, and then they didn't get back to winning ways when you look at their, their Champions League performances. And sometimes you invest so much in having Champions League success that your, your league form suffers, and that's what's happened with them. Then they dropped down to, obviously, the Europa League, didn't have much better success there either. Disappointment for them on that front. So I think that when you look at Roma's form, they have to concentrate on trying to, to win the Scudetto. I think they're good enough to challenge Juventus. Whether or not they're good enough to win, to, to win it will be found out next year. But if they sign the right players, they give themselves every opportunity. But again, Champions League comes into play. That's a big business for Roma. If they can go far in the Champions League, there's no reason why they can't reach the quarterfinals or semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah, hopefully they're drawn into a better group this time because that, yeah. that was brutal. Tough group, tough yeah. group. 
Uh, do you think Rudy Garcia, I mean, I like Rudy Garcia a lot, um, but, you know, he's had his fair share of critics. Do you think he's the right man for the job? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I really like Rudy Garcia. I'm a very big fan of his. Um, disappointed last year with some decisions he made. Um, in particular, Destro yeah. was, was, for me, a very strange decision. Obviously, having him go out of the football club um, when he's such a good goal scorer. Um, but they just didn't see eye to eye. Um, his team selection at times was, was interesting. But he has a great deal of history of success. And you consider the success he had at Lille, the club that he built and how far he took them all the way to the championship in France was incredible. I think he can do the same with Roma. You have to give him time, let him build the club he wants to build, give him the players he needs, and they'll have a lot of success. He's a, he's a great manager, still very young. He's only 50 years old, something like that. So he's got a great future in the game. And I think Roma are doing the right thing by keeping him in charge. All right, one more question about Roma, and then we'll move on. Um, but... Do you think uh, Francesco Totti, he's obviously a legend and he's done amazing things in soccer and for the club. Do you think he held the team back a bit last season? Yeah, You know, they had to sort of build their formation around him and their style of play around him. Um, or do you think he will be an integral part to uh, the Scudetto chase this year? Well, the biggest problem for Roma last year was that they didn't have a goal scorer in double figures, which was disappointing for them. And who was your, your leading goal scorer in? Adam you're looking at Totti and, and Adam Jajic, both finished with eight goals, I believe, so yeah. less than double figures, which is simply not good enough. Um, but Totti still scored eight goals, and that leads the way. So for me, he's a player that, at his age, doesn't need to play as many games. Um, it doesn't help when you've got a player like that who's playing every single game, but it looked like Rudy Garcia was just slowly pushing him out of the team, giving other players an opportunity to play. Um, but he has a massive influence inside that club, and you need to have him around. If he's around those players, they're getting better. So having him there is going to help. I think he understands himself now that he's not got the fitness levels that he used to have. He can't play every game. So he has to pick and choose which games he wants to play in. He still has a great deal of influence on the games. And maybe you play him in the lesser games than in the Champions League and, and the big games in uh, Serie A and give him an opportunity to sit on the sidelines and, and help tutor these players along. He's still a big influence, and I think you want to keep that influence around the club. All right, so let's go to uh, Lionel Messi. You know, Copa America just ended, and with that, there's been, and with them losing uh, for the second time in two years, a big tournament. Um, there's been a lot of criticism um, geared towards Lionel Messi. Um, do you think he needs to win a major trophy to be considered one of the best ever? No, I don't think so. I think in, in many people's eyes, he is the best ever mm -hmm. because of his talent, because of his goal scoring, because of his ability, and because how much we're all obsessed with watching this guy play football. He's, he's incredible. I've never seen a player like him. But to be considered a great for the national team, Yes, absolutely. You've got to win a trophy. You've got to win the World Cup. You've got to win the Copa America, and he hasn't done that. So that's disappointing, and that's where the criticism comes from. But in the club game, he's cleaning up another treble for Barcelona this year, and all the goals that he scored got them there. So Lionel Messi, for me, is already a great because of what he's doing in the, the club game. But on the national level, to be considered better than Maradona, if, for instance, that's the case, then he has to win the World Cup. So... You'll get another opportunity in Russia to do that. And I think that Argentina will not be far away because their defense is getting better. Mm -hmm. Their midfield is awesome. Yeah. And offensively, they're one of the best national teams in the world. Yeah, obviously, uh, Chile are the defending champions of Copa America. They just won it. 
Do you think they can sustain their success, or is this a golden generation? Um, you can certainly say that it's a golden generation because they won Copa America for the first time. Um, having success for your national team is huge. And the players that they've got in that squad are, are young. There's experience. There's, there's talent there who can push the team on. But they seem to be a unit. And there's no question that this Chilean side can go and have great success in World Cup qualification what begins at the end of this year. I think they can be very successful once again. And when you can consider going into tournaments coming up for them, the World Cup has to be an option as to how far they can go. I think they're good enough to, to go quite far in the tournament. Can they win it? I'm not sure they're that strong. But I think that they've got enough talent in their squad to really cause a lot of problems and a lot of upsets at big tournaments. So I'll be surprised if they don't qualify for the World Cup big time. I think the squad's good enough to qualify. I think the squad's good enough to, to make it into the knockout stages of the World Cup in 2018 because a lot of these players who've just had success will, will be there. All right, so let's talk about American soccer. Uh, you know, with youth coaches and just throughout the game, there seems to be a pretty large influence on the way the game is coached. Um, uh, do you think um, English football is romanticized by Americans and American players? Um, you know, we see, we see players go to England um, instead into the Premier League or the Championship instead of maybe going to the Bundesliga or um, Spain or, or Italy. Um, do, you think, do you think England is the best place for um, Americans to develop having played in MLS, England, and in Germany? I don't think England's the best place for players to develop. I think it's very difficult for players, in particular American players, unless you're a superstar, to get into the Premiership. It's not easy. And the visa situation makes it even more difficult if you don't have an opportunity of a European passport. So there's other leagues that make it easier for these players to get first-team experience. Obviously, Jurgen Klinsmann is German. He's got a terrific influence with the German players who have come in to this national team. Um, and I think that there's a great opportunity for a lot of these youngsters to play in the German league. Obviously, I played there. I know that there's a great history of American players getting easy visas to play there. And they have a great reputation in the German league. So I think the German league is, is, is a top league for these American kids to go and learn. And they play football the right way. They play it with the youth generation learning it the right way, the passing game, the football in the right way. So I think that German League's my number one to see a lot of younger, talented players who are coming through our ranks to go and get experience. The Premiership, if you're good enough to play there, is one of the best leagues in the world. There is no question about that. And I love watching the Premiership. I think it's exciting to watch. The teams there are great. I think Deandre Yedlin, for example, is a youngster who's played in Major League Soccer. Didn't really impress me in Major League Soccer, but he's getting better with his experience at Tottenham Hotspur. So when you surround yourself by talented people, coaches, players, whatever, you're going to get better. And I think that happens in England. I think that happens in Germany. I think it happens in Spain. And I think it happens in France. And I think these players can can learn so much by going over to Europe, having a gamble, and, and really going for it. But Major League Soccer is getting better. It's paying better as well. And we're seeing more influence from European coaches and the American coaches in the game who are getting better that these players can learn. If you look at Kyle Beckerman, for example, never ever wanted to go and play in a European game because he enjoyed playing Major League Soccer. And he's got better. 
Kyle Beckerman has become one of the best, most consistent players in Major League Soccer and probably one of the most consistent players I've ever seen. And I watch Kyle Beckerman so frequently at Real Salt Lake, watched him getting better. So I think that it doesn't necessarily mean that these players have to go to Europe to improve. They can also do it in Major League Soccer. Yeah, and you know, I was referring to Juan Agudelo, how he was so adamant on getting into the Premier League with Stoke that you know he took six months off um, and he wasn't playing any club football. Well, I think if you look at the dreams from a lot of these players, television has a big influence on mm-hmm. it. When you look at what we watch nowadays to what we were watching five, six years ago, there was so much English football five or six years ago. Now when you look at NBC covering the Premier League, you see Fox covering obviously the Bundesliga next year and all the US national team games plus Champions League. You look at BM Sports covering the Italian League, Spanish League, French League. These kids are getting experience growing up watching soccer, live soccer. They can watch more live soccer in the United States than you can in the UK. It's incredible. So these kids are getting to sample the world's greatest game outside of the United States. And they have dreams. They have aspirations. When I was a kid growing up, I wanted to play in Germany. So I made that happen. I went there and I gambled. I took a risk and I managed to fulfill my dream. So when Agudelo has a dream of playing in a premiership, why not want to make that happen? Mm -hmm. So talking more about your career, um, during your youth career, you played for Manchester United, and um, I understand that you're a fan. Am I right about that? Yes, yeah. Um, so do you think they can push towards a league title, and is Depay Premier League ready? Um, Manchester United have obviously had to rebuild after Sir Alex Ferguson left. Um, it was very difficult for David Moyes to come in and replace someone like him. But I think Van Gaal has uh, come in and done a terrific job last year, last campaign, and really impressed everybody. It took some time. Obviously, not all the results were perfect, but I think he created a great reputation. He created a a great deal of respect from all of the players inside that training room uh, and dressing room, and he gained the respect that it needed to, to happen at Manchester United. The players finished off in a great position in the Premiership table and we'll be back in the Champions Champions League hunt so that was job number one job number two now for Lou Van Gaal is to improve this team to be challenging for the title and he brings in a player like Depay who I think is an outstanding player I think he's got a terrific reputation with the Dutch national team he obviously has a terrific reputation in, in the Dutch league as well and Lou Van Gaal has a habit of being able to pick the right players for exactly what he needs. Um, This kid is only 21 years old, so he's got a lot to learn. There's no question about that. But he has unbelievable experience. If you consider this kid only being 21 years old, he's played 100 games in the Dutch League, which you can only get better by playing games. It's immense. So the goals he scored for PSV last year were outstanding. He, He got better from the season before, and he played a lot of games. So... I think he can be a deadly player in the Premiership, and I believe that he will score goals and he will make a difference to Manchester United. Now, there are some recent rumours that uh, Manchester United are going after Bastian Schweinsteiger, of, uh, the, obviously the German midfielder and Bayern Munich mi- midfielder. Um, if that were to happen, what do you think he'd add to the midfield, and do you think um, he would push them over the top? Because they do have a lot of wide players. So, Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because Bastian Schweinsteiger has a terrific reputation in the German League and he is a hero 
at uh, Bayern Munich and the fans certainly will not want to see him leaving Bayern Munich, that's for sure. But obviously, I'm hearing through the grapevine that there's issues between him and Pep Guardiola and his influence in the dressing room. He's still at a good age, he's only 30 years old, so he's, he's not a bad age to be making a move if he wanted to. But he's played his whole career at Bayern Munich, so whether or not he wants to finish his career there or try something different, we'll, we'll soon find out. I think he can go to any team in the world's game and make them better. He's that good. Um, problem last year was his injuries it didn't help and he didn't play consistently for Pep Guardiola. Um, but I think that this guy can go anywhere and play and be successful. So if it was Manchester United, I'd certainly be a happy Manchester United fan to see him come through the door. Uh, so going back to MLS, um, how much has the quality of MLS changed since you played seven years ago? MLS, um, I mean, it's difficult because it's a, a young league. It's only been gone for 25 years now, I think, something like that. Yeah. So it's it's a very young league, and it needs to improve. And the only way to improve that is by creating more teams and getting more superstars here so that you're creating a big buzz in stadiums. Excuse me. And then going on to having success is, is never easy, but... The competition level in Major League Soccer has improved immensely. Trying to get into the playoffs this year is going to be very, very difficult in the Eastern and the Western Conference, and some big teams are going to miss out. So I think that if you look at the competition level, it's, it certainly has improved. When I look at the pace of the game, when I look at some of the younger players who are coming through, I have to say that I think the Major League Soccer's got better. And some of these kids who are coming through the academies into the first team it has improved so much. And when you look at the guys who are leading these teams, Jason Christ, Caleb Porters of the world, these are young coaches who are getting better and better. And I think that they coach the game in the right way. Um, so I think Major League Soccer has taken a massive step forward. And I love to see the fact that clubs like New York City come into it, Orlando City come into it. They bring sold-out stadiums. They bring superstar players. And they bring talented players with them as well. But everyone who benefits playing in Major League Soccer will only ever benefit when the supporters turn up. And all the supporters who are um, following Major League Soccer now is, is incredible. Yeah, you know, um, MLS seems to make up the rules as they go. You know, they just added a new rule, um, probably to get uh, Giovanni Dos Santos into the league. Um, how, do you think, what, what do you think about that, that they, you know, seem to cater to certain teams or um, create rules uh, so they can get these big players? I think it happens a lot because the big teams who have such an influence want to sign a specific player. Mm -hmm. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to try and make that happen. I think that the players who have played in Major League Soccer for a long time deserve a lot of respect and more money. So you look at Kyle Beckerman's, you look at Wondolowski's, these players are making huge money now in Major League Soccer and they deserve it because they've committed their lives to play in Major League Soccer and they've improved the league. So the generation that's been around for a long time deserves to get paid. And I like to see some of these younger players who can have the option to go to the European game stay in Major League Soccer. And for me, I think it's a good move if they decide to stay here. And the only way to do that is to pay them more. So Major League Soccer's done something right by giving them the opportunity to make more money in Major League Soccer. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, you, you mentioned Jason Christ in the last question you answered. Do you think he could go on to be a successful manager abroad in um, Europe? Uh, we haven't seen many American uh, managers 
be successful or any American managers at all in the, in the top leagues. And there are some rumors that Precky or Bob Bradley might be going to Leicester City. Um, but, you know, a lot of American fans have high hopes for Jason Christ, either with the national team or abroad. Yeah, I don't think we're far away from seeing um, from seeing an American coach go into the Premiership or into the Bundesliga and have a lot of success. Um, when you look at the two most historic, you, you obviously look at Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena with the national team, uh, Ziggy Schmidt with uh, Major League Soccer and what he's done for the collegiate game. Outstanding. I mean, these guys are just unbelievable. But I look forward to seeing the next generation. Jason Kreiss is in that next generation. Caleb Porter in that next generation. Greg Berhalter at Columbus in that next generation. These people are young. They're exciting. They train the right way. The players are improving under them. And they've got a hunger to be very, very successful. So for me, I think that there's a great opportunity there for... Um, American coaches to, to go over to the Premiership and, and be successful or the German League, I think that will eventually happen. Um, whether it's right now or not is yet to be found out. These guys have to be successful in Major League Soccer or with the U. It could happen. And I think the job at hand right now for, for say, example, Jason Grice is to concentrate on his New York gig, which is, is so vital for him. And if he has success there, then everything's open to him. He can go anywhere he wants. So let's talk U.S. men's national team. Um, what are your thoughts on Jurgen Klinsmann and his tenure with the team? Um, do you think he's followed up on his promises to play a proactive style of soccer? Jurgen Klinsmann? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, obviously, it's a German mentality when it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann. And if you look at his game, it's about playing exciting soccer and scoring goals. He was a terrific goal scorer, and he was also a very exciting footballer to watch play the game. So I think that I love the decision that the U.S. soccer made by bringing Jurgen Klinsmann in because it was a long-term thing for them. They wanted to make sure that he was going to be a guy to build the whole generation of next talented players, which takes years. The way to do that is to restructure everything from the academies to the under 15, 16, 17, all the way up to the Olympic team and then into the first team. We are seeing a terrific, talented bunch of players. If you look at the U-20s, the success that they had, just outstanding. Some incredible players there. The Olympics next year will be excellent to watch. I'm really excited to see how far they go. Um, and obviously the, the full national team in the Gold Cup right now is, is, is a big task. I think it's exciting times for US soccer fans, but I still think we are probably two or three world-class players away from being a team that can compete at the World Cup level. So... If you have a united team, which we are, if you have a team that's fit, fit, 100% fit and can battle through anything, which we are, you give yourself a great opportunity because as a team, you're difficult to beat. You can score goals. But you need those two or three special gems to be a world beater. And I don't think the U.S. is too far away from finding one or two world-class players. Do you think uh, Gideon Zalalem is one of those players? He could be. He's got a long way to go. He's in the right place right now. Obviously, People are being patient with him, but I think there's a number of players who are coming through the U.S. system um, that will get better and better and may eventually turn out to be those world-class superstars. We need something special if we want to have success in the U.S. All right, so final question. Um, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but in your eyes, where do the um, where do the U.S. rank on the international stage? And also, in your estimation, who is the best uh, play U.S. player at the moment? Well, the U.S. rank in the top 20 for me. 
I think that they are um, terrific. They are very exciting. They have success in CONCACAF, and they seem to beat everybody around. So you know that they're a team that's difficult to beat. They always seem to get to the knockout stages of World Cup competition. So the United States definitely fall into that top 20 category. So many players are playing in some great leagues around the world. And that experience is huge. Um, I don't believe in the FIFA top 20 rankings. I think it's a lot of nonsense. Obviously, we can all agree on some of the teams that are there shouldn't be there. But it's exciting to see that the US always seem to find themselves uh, around that top 25. Um, the best US player right now is difficult to pinpoint on one. But my favorite player uh, is an easy one. Clint Dempsey is my favorite US not national team player right now. Um, he's such a talented man. Um, followed him very closely in the Premiership, where he had tremendous success, and he deserves a lot more credit than what he has got recently for what he's done for US soccer. So for me, he's um, he, he's got everything that you need to be a world class player, um, and I don't think he's too far away from that level. The only thing that's hampering him now is his age. He's getting on a little bit, and he will start to slow down. But he's my favorite. Yeah, I, I know you said final question, so, but so with that, do you think it was a mistake taking away the captaincy away from him? Yes, I do. I, I like the fact that Michael Bradley is the captain. I think he's uh, probably one of the best professionals I've ever seen play the game in the United States, and he's a quality footballer. But I think that Clint Dempsey is on his own level, and he was doing a tremendous job as captain. Obviously, you cannot have someone disrespect a referee like that, but taking the captaincy away from him, I thought was a little bit too much because Clint Dempsey's done so much for U.S. soccer, and I think U.S. soccer owes him a lot as well. So to stand by him would have been a better task than taking the captaincy away from him. But maybe this is Klinsman's task. Maybe he wants to inspire Clint Dempsey to, to do more. And taking the captaincy away might just inspire Clint Dempsey for a little payback. And after seeing the two goals in the first game, maybe Klinsman's right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Gold Cup, I mean, the CONCACAF has just gotten a lot better in the last few years. It's exciting to watch this tournament, for sure. Yeah, it's getting better and better. CONCACAF region, all of these players playing, a lot of them playing in Major League Soccer, a lot of them playing in a European game. So, yeah, it's excellent to watch. All right, well, uh, that concludes the interview. You can watch Ian Joy on VN Sports for several programming and on Yes Network for all NYCFC games. Um, thank thank you. you so much. Yeah, thank you for being on. Come back anytime, of course. All right, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for having yeah. me. Welcome back, guys. I hope you all enjoyed the interview, and now let's get back to the main episode. All right, so the U.S. men's national team beat Haiti tonight um, 1-0, thanks to a goal from Clint Dempsey. Overall, I'd say the game looked pretty even. We kind of took control towards the end. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on this game? Well, for the second game in a row, we've been heavily outshot. This time it was 16-6. to Last time it was 21-6. to um, you know, that can be a misleading stat, though, because Haiti took some very, very speculative efforts from outside the box. You know, I haven't had much time to digest it. We're recording pretty much directly after the match, so I haven't really had a chance to go back and look at um, certain aspects of the game. But, you know, I would say, um, uh, you know, Haiti's a good team. I think they're very, very underrated. Um, I still wouldn't panic. You know, our back line was completely different. From, all, all four players were different from the last match different formation. The team definitely looked much better when Josie came off and Zardes came in on the wing. And, you know, Sahil, it pains me to say this. You know how much of a fan of Josie I am. I think it's time to move on. 
I really move do. on. Yeah, I think like, in you know. The I think future. yeah, right now. I think it's it's time. He's you know he's not performing. I, but I feel like he doesn't mess up. Well, he had a, I mean, he he had a couple of bad turnovers. Uh, well, that was the other thing. There's a lot of bad turnovers. Oh, yeah. Just in general. People yeah. were trying to take one-on-ones when they shouldn't have. They screwed had a one or a couple. Reem had a, almost had one. Refereeing was not good again. A um, little bit more controlled than against Honduras. But, I mean, overall, man, you know, it's, it's okay. We got the three points. We finished the top of the group. But... You know, we, we need to start We can't perform better. like this against Costa Rica and Mexico. No. I mean, if we even get there at this point. Yeah. So, well, okay. Well, I mean, it's, we have to win the game outside. But I mean, we're talented enough to get outplayed and still win. Right. Now, my, you know, you're the host. But my question to you is, do we play Do we play the team we're going to play in the quarterfinals next time? Or just because we locked up a spot, do we maybe cap tie a William Yarbrough, give um, some other players... Uh, uh, some opportunities just to get some experience, or do we go with the team that we need to go with for the rest of the tournament, or do we not go with the same team over the rest of the tournament? Okay, well, um, I think that you start up top with Johansson and Dempsey next game because I think those are the two best strikers that we can play, and we're not playing well enough that we can just use this game to cap tie people. So I'd say play this game differently because I don't think this was the best approach, but don't play it like it's. Like a like a consolation game or anything like that. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I would say I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, maybe Captain Yarbrough because Guzan's gonna be Guzan. Okay, yeah. Because I guess that doesn't affect how we actually play. Yeah. Uh, but Guzan was great. He was my man of the match. Um, Dempsey a close second. I think I thought Dempsey. I, I know Dempsey only scored one goal today, but I thought he was much better than he was against Honduras. Yeah. Much more effective in the run of play, and we got the well. I guess technically the second goal was. In the run-up play last time. And that, that, the first that goal could have had to do with his positioning. He, he played as a striker against Sondras. Yeah, but he moved team. up once Zardes came on. He moved yeah. as a striker. And I think he, he, he was a little bit better there, actually. Um, that one, like, fabulous skill in the midfield, was that, was that when he was at striker or at attacking mid? Um, well, I don't, I don't know which one you're talking about. <laughs> um, it was like a heel chap. Well, you know, I think Johansson and Dembski work much better together because De- Johansson will go out wide more, and he... You know, he, he can beat a defender one-on-one and maybe get it to Dempsey. And, you know, there's a real reluctancy for the U.S. players to take shots outside the box. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know why that was. Maybe Jurgen's telling them, pass that shot up and look for a cr- look at wide and then to send a cross in. But I don't know if that's necessarily the, the best approach. Um, I think, you know, if Bradley's or if Dempsey's at top of the box, they're more than capable of hitting those shots in. So... I really, I really don't know. Uh, I really don't know why that would be, why, why, Clins- why the te- the team was reluctant to take shots. I, did you did you ever give credit during this podcast about how Zardes just came on and then got an assist to Dempsey? And what yeah, a shot by Dempsey! Yeah, too. great shot by Dempsey. Great finish. It's you know it looks easy, but it was a great finish by Dempsey. Yeah. No, I didn't say that. You know, yeah, he's immediately effective down that wing. Uh, Josie definitely slows the game down a lot, and you know. When he's in, I think, I think he's immensely important to the team. But I think when he is in, the team definitely relies way too much on the long ball over the top. Yeah. You know, they have to be more creative when he's not in there. Um, and I, I still think Zardes is better when he when he's up top. When he moved up top towards the end of the match when Beckerman came in and Disgrew moved out wide. But you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think the back line will be the ba- I think the back line going forward will be the. Backline from the first match, 
Or, um, or you know, I'd like to see Brooks and Ream. Um, I know they're I know they're two left footed center backs, but I'd like to see them uh, play together. Yeah. So, what changes are you looking for um, in the next match ahead of the next well, match? Yeah. Okay. So the back line, first back line. Yeah. Besides May- the back line. Yeah. Maybe Evans. I don't know. Maybe Evans plays. He played well, I guess. Um, I think Bedoya and Yedlin have to start, right? I mean, I, I don't really see any other options. Yeah. Maybe Zardes. But, I mean, Bedoya's got to start. Yeah. Um, Whether that be out wide at center midfield, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think... I really don't think Dempsey's going to play in the next game. Um, I'd probably give him a rest. Um, and, yeah, maybe give Bedoya a run out. So, we'll, we'll see how Zarda, or um, how Klinsman uh, approaches this match. Um, but I won't be surprised. You know, it's, it's only three... It's on Monday. So, it's only two days rest. Um, well, I guess it's two days rest for all of the matches. And that... Three games in eight days, I don't think Dempsey can play that. No. So, Beckerman obviously can't. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, I think something that might be interesting is playing Tim Ream at defensive mid. He, he's had experience there. Um, and he, he's a very good defensive player. And he's also very good, very good on the ball. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd, like, I'd, love to, I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him there at defensive mid. What are your predictions for this game? Uh, USA Panama. Yeah. Um, I would say, oh, man, it really depends on the lineup. I think the U.S. I think they draw one one. Draw one one. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I mean Panama needs to win. Um, I think they have two points, right? Yeah, two points. Um, so they they need a win. I mean, a draw could get them through. Um, but you know, they'll definitely be looking for a win, and they'll. We haven't played a competitive match against them since. We broke their hearts in World Cup qualifying, so yeah. um, it'll be a very interesting match. Another very chippy match, um, but yeah, yeah. So why don't we talk about um, some of the Group C action that happened uh, before our game against Haiti, uh, Mexico, Cuba? I think that you said last episode Mexico would win five or six zero, and they won six zero. Yeah, I did. And say I questioned five. you. Yeah, you did question me. I think it's important to note that. Uh, Six of Cuba's players and their manager defected before the match. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, I did. So, uh, I mean, there's not really much to talk about. Peralta gets a hat-trick, so he's tied with Dempsey in the Golden Boot race. He's obviously played one game less. And then Vela, Guardado, and Dos Santos all score. Giovanni Dos Santos all score. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, Yeah, and then the... It's a a beatdown by Mexico. No, go ahead. Uh, Can I go to the next match? Yeah. And then the other Group C match was Trinidad and Tobago versus Guatemala, also in Soldier Field, like the previous Yeah. Time. So, you know, uh, this one, that one actually happened yeah. beforehand. Um, but, you know, I, I told you before the tournament um, that Trinidad and Tobago is a good team. You remember that? I remember you saying that on last episode. Well, did I say that? On, I, don't, I couldn't remember if I said that on the podcast or if that was, like, in our production meeting. Um, <laughs> we actually don't have production meetings. <laughs> but, um... Uh, yeah, they're a good team. They're a good team, and they've always been a good team. Um, they're definitely better than Guatemala, and I picked them to get out of this group. I picked Mexico and Trinidad to get out of this group. Um, so, you know, good performance by them. I can't say I watched the whole match, um, but it, it was overall a good performance by them. And Carlos Ruiz, man, he's 36 now, the former D.C. United man. He still puts in the work for Guatemala, and he's still their best player. You know, they have... Carlos Ruiz, who's talented, and Marco Papa, who's killing it in MLS. Um, so they have a very talented team. 
Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's just not enough. It's not enough. So, I mean, Mexico's in a very easy group. Uh, Trinidad should give them a test, though. And, but the Mexico do play Guatemala next. Yeah, and this actually happened um, on Wednesday night, the day we recorded the episode. Yeah. It was during we recorded the episode, but we never actually got to touch on El Salvador, Canada. Um, it ended up in a 0-0 draw, the only 0-0 draw of the tournament so far. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of that game? Um, I mean, you weren't really able to watch it that much. Well, but. no, I wasn't. I mean, Kyle, how about Kyle Aaron, man, with the big miss in the first half? Oh, yeah. He rounds the goalkeeper, and he just puts it miles over, miles over. Um, did you see that one uh, Blaszczykowski miss? Yes, it yeah, really, it was like that. Yeah, was just... And, you know, I feel bad I feel bad for him because he's doing really well in MLS, and he's an early contender for Rookie of the Year, early frontrunner. So, you know, he's he's on form. His his first big, big match with Canada, um, he has had some World Cup qualifying under his belt. But, um, you know, unfortunate. But he's clearly the best player on the team. You know, uh, Russell Tybert and, um, oh, man, who's the other kid? Uh, wow. Uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. Russell Tybert, um, I think Tybert plays for Vancouver, and, oh, jo- Osorio, Jonathan Osorio. Um, they both came on very late in the match, and immediately they started playing better. They should be starting. I mean, I don't get why they aren't starting. This is the Gold Cup. You're Canada. You're one of three teams that have ever won this competition. Play your players that are creative. Why are you playing a defensive match against El Salvador? Neither team really deserved to win. Canada, I mean, I guess you can say they might have because they got that chance with Laren. But, I mean, towards the end, El Salvador just looked very, very dangerous. But until the 81st minute, Canada didn't look dangerous at all. So, you know, I, I really can't get why these, you know, young, creative MLSers aren't playing in this team they deserve to be playing in this team. They have the quality. And if Canada wants to get anyone in this tournament, they're going to have to play them. You know, he's playing Laren, but, man, I don't know. I mean, Osorio and Tybert are, are very, very good players. They should be in the starting lineup. And El Salvador, you know, I I didn't see the lineup for this match, actually. So I, I only caught the last, like, 20 minutes, um, and I watched some highlights because we were recording. But I don't know if their players are still... Uh, suspended from international play. You know, Rodolfo Zelaya, who did really well in the last Gold Cup, was there. I don't know if they're still suspended or not, so I'll look into that, but, you know. Um, yeah. So let's say in Group B, uh, this is the most interesting group, probably, since everyone's played one game, everyone has one point. Who do you see coming out of this group? Uh, uh, first, those top two spots. Costa Rica and Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Canada. Those okay, are Canada. Canada ahead of Honduras. No, Honduras. No, no. I, I see the United States, Honduras, and actually Haiti getting out of the group. Okay, okay. Actually, um, no, I think Panama will end up getting out. Haiti won't get out. I, th- I think, you know, we didn't talk a lot about Haiti, but they have a lot of quality and a lot of speed on the... A lot of speed and a lot of quality on the ball, too. The end product is not necessarily there. Number seven, I can't remember his name. He was, he, he was really, really well, good. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, actually, though, but since Trinidad's in an easier group, it might be easier for them to scoop up more points than Honduras, considering no, Honduras is playoffs. I think Trinidad, Trinidad's going to finish second in, the, in their group. Oh, okay. I mean, Cuba's not going to get third place. Yeah. Then who's the other team? Uh, Guatemala. I th- yeah, Guatemala. Yeah, Guatemala. So I, I don't, I don't see any of them getting out. So I think, I think. The but, other- but Honduras still has to play us. No, Honduras played us. Panama. Sorry. Has to play sorry. Us. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. What was I saying? Yeah, I mean, two points might be enough. Yeah. 
but you know what? You're right. Guatemala could get three points against Cuba, and it's it's over for the other teams. Yeah. So, you know, that's what's kind of unfortunate about this format. Um, it would be really, really unfortunate if Honduras didn't get through. I think Honduras will actually beat Haiti. So, oh, man. I, it's tough. It's tough. You know, I think, I think the eight best teams are the United States, Panama, uh, Honduras, Costa Rica, Jamaica, Canada, Mexico, and Trinidad. And then Haiti's right there around nine. Um, so, you know, you're right. The points, they, yeah. I mean, Guatemala could beat Cuba and get three points. You're right yeah. about that. All right, so do you have anything to say about the Gold Cup besides that? Uh, it's been a very, very exciting tournament so yeah, far. Yeah, it has. Uh, I've really very much enjoyed watching the tournament, um, and CONCACAF has just been miles, miles better in, in the last couple of years, and I'm really looking forward to World Cup qualifying. It's going to be difficult for the U.S. Yeah. It's not going to be easy, So, especially on the road. Um, so, you know, very, very, very excited. Um, did we talk about Honduras and Panama drawing 1-1? No. Yeah, okay. So that was the game before the U.S.'s yeah. game, um, and they drew 1-1, so not really much to say there. Uh, someone did get red card in the 90th minute. The field conditions at Gillette Stadium were terrible, too. It was grass over turf, which is just stupid. CONCACAF, U.S. soccer, get it together. I know you guys are trying to make money and having it in these big football stadiums, but please, for the love of God, don't. We need grass stadiums. Ultimately, you're putting the players at risk. It doesn't make any sense to me to lay these fields at Cowboy Stadium or where the Ravens play. Or it's Gillespie. not a matter of having enough grass. We have enough grass. It's just where they choose to put the... But yeah, it's not, it's not easy to lay grass like that. It's never going to be a good field condition. Yeah. Like, instead of playing in Gillette, why not play in Red Bull Arena? It's a beautiful stadium. You know, if... I don't know. Like, if someone's coming out for a U.S. national team match... They might fall in love with that kind of stadium and want to become part of that soccer culture, you know? It's not going to happen. It, has, it happens, though. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, or if you have just a, not a soccer fan but wants to see the U.S. national team and comes out to the stadium, it, it'd be good exposure for MLS. Um, but, you know, obviously for the group stage match in Dallas, they played in, in where FC Dallas played. Um, but, I mean, what, we've seen Soldier Field... Gillette Stadium. Um, I mean, we've seen a couple of other. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like it. Yeah. Well, at least at least the, some of the matches were at the StubHub Center where LA plays. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah, but I have really nothing nothing else to add. You know, it's a long episode. Sorry, guys, but we have an interview in there. It went longer than we thought. Thank you to Ian Joy again. Um, there are some transfer rumors. Um, about Bashi and Schweinsteiger, but we touched on that. So, oh, also, we didn't say uh, last time uh, Bob Bradley might actually become the coach of Leicester and Preki might join him as an assistant. So, but there's also reports refuting that, so I don't really know what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure in the next episode we'll probably have on Monday after the U.S. match. Um, you know, in the next episode we will, or we might have it on Tuesday because I have work Tuesday morning. Um, but we will definitely cover more of the transfer rumors. This episode yeah. is mostly about Ian Joy, and we had to get some Gold Cup in there, so we didn't fall way behind and have to do a whole episode on Gold Cup action. Yeah. I don't think it's really hit me yet, honestly, that we interviewed Ian Joy. Yeah, you know, it's great. You know, of course, you guys all know who are listening. We're a very, very small podcast. We're only on episode six. I mean, 
absolutely class from him to uh, uh, come on our show and, and help us help us grow our, our podcast, help us get our passion out there to other people. Just so, just a guy as busy as him receiving like a, a Twitter message from just some random person. I don't yeah. know. I feel like most people wouldn't do that. So just yeah. thank you to him. Yeah, yeah. He does follow me on Twitter, so it was a direct message. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But so, he follows a lot of people. Yeah, he does. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and it was no hesitation, really. And he was very, very accommodating with the, our technical issues, um, with the questions I had, you know, and just an all-around really, really nice and, and class dude. And one of the up-and-coming commentators in in, uh, in American soccer. Yeah. So I'd love to see him at Fox, maybe, for the World Cup or, you know, whether it be in 2018 or beyond that. But he's a great commentator. And I'm telling you, Bean is doing a great job with their commentators. They have some fantastic guys over yeah. there. Um, and it was just a great conversation with him. So once again, Ian, thank you so much. Um, we'd love to have you back uh, whenever, of course. When So... You know, it, it's, it was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, um, and that's going to conclude this, uh, like, the main part of the podcast. Uh, my brother writes for BetweenTheTouchlines.com for the U.S. Men's National Team section. You can check that out. We both have Twitters. He's at BigTimeBrownie. I'm at ASR underscore Sahil. Um, we have an email, SoccerBrothersPodcast at gmail.com. Do not forget to email us if you have any questions we want to answer on the air. Uh, we're not going to do our little game we usually do today because we're running a little bit over. Um... But yeah, thank you for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and uh, review us, please. We we really appreciate the feedback, what we can improve. Um, And we'll see you guys next time.